Welcome to Beyond the Surface. On our podcast, we highlight underrepresented voices in architecture. We'll humanize architects by uncovering who they are beyond the surface. Hi, I'm your host, Alex Sanchez, representing Illinois Tech's student chapter of the National Organization of Minority Architects. Today's episode is called Homegrown with our guest, Brian Hudson. Brian Hudson is a licensed architect in the state of Illinois. He is president and founder of Soma Design Consultants, which is an architectural design and construction management firm. He specializes in residential design, commercial, religious, and educational projects. Brian has served as treasurer for the National Organization of Minority Architects, where he also served as the 2017 to 2018 national president. In 2019, he received the AIA Illinois R. Buckminster Fuller Award for Social Good. Thank you for taking your time to be here today. How are you feeling? Uh, I'm good. It's just a lot's going on, home and work, so uh, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you were able to take your time to be here with us. We'll get started with our first question. Can you tell us about your background and how you grew up and how that influenced who you are today? Long-term, lifetime Chicago resident, born and raised on the south side, last of six kids. Parents moved to Chicago in the mid-50s from East St. Louis, and my dad expressed interest in high school as wanting to become an architect as well as a chef. But he wound up going and getting enlisted and going to World War II, so he was stationed in Hawaii after Pearl Harbor. And when he got home, he finished up school and met my mom and started having kids. So architecture kind of went out the window for him at that point. Growing up, I liked to draw, specifically buildings, and I guess I can say I'm old enough to what is now called the Willis Tower, but we're going to call it the Sears Tower, was under construction in the early 70s. And so as a kid, I could sit and look out the back window of the house and see downtown Chicago starting to evolve with the towers, and so I would draw the skyline all the time. I asked my dad, like, we stand on the front porch, I think I was about six, and I'm noticing the houses on the block all looking similar, but not quite the same. That's when I got my first explanation of architecture and development from the standpoint that they had a base plan for what this house would look like, four bedrooms, dining room, kitchen, living room, basement. Some of them had wraparound front porches, some didn't, some had bay windows, some had picture windows. And he told me there was one person that was responsible for doing all that. I was like, okay. And so from there, my brothers would teach me how to draw and continue sketching. And I got to high school. I went to Limbloom, which was Limbloom Technical at the time. And it had one of the top drafting programs in the city. He bought me my first drafting kit, and the rest, as we say, was history. It's really about my parents because they instilled education at an early age. So I was reading books when I was probably like three, four years old. I sit in my mom's lap reading a newspaper. So they were serious about education. So when I got to Limbloom, I just felt like I was where I was supposed to be. Can't say I was the greatest student. I found out that a lot of the students at that school were all like number one at their schools. And so it was kind of a culture shock to not be the smartest anymore. So I kind of struggled with that, but I excelled like straight A's in drafting and my science classes I did well. What's interesting is my dad had a dream for me to go to either two schools, 
Tuskegee University in Alabama, or IIT. <laughs> and we would uh, take the train because my mom worked at Marshall Fields. So sometimes my dad would take me to visit her. We'd have lunch. And we would take the red line on the Dan Ryan. And he's like, see that red brick building over there? It's like, yeah, that's where you're going to go to school. And so he explained to me about Mies. And it's like, this man knows a lot. So funny enough, again, wasn't the greatest student, but I took the ACT. And at that time, I didn't realize you could take it more than once. So I only took it once. And I scored high on the uh, math and science, but the overall score wasn't that great. But it was high enough to be accepted to IIT's architecture program. But unfortunately, he had a stroke my senior year in high school, right after Christmas. And he lived for maybe another two years, but because of the medical bills and everything else, my mom was like, we can't afford, at that time, get this, tuition was 10000 a semester. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> As a student here, that's like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. This was in 1986. It was 10000 a semester. But because, I, again, I was not the most focused student in high school, she was like, this is not going to be the investment that I take out on you. Yeah. So I looked at junior colleges and enrolled at, at the time, it was Loop College, but it's now Harold Washington. And when I got there, I was on the president's list the first semester. So getting straight A's in my design classes, I was getting straight A's in my language classes, I was going to minor in French. I did well there. I transferred after a year, went to Daly College to be closer to home because I was helping take care of my dad. So yeah, it was great. There was a lot going on, I feel, when you were like growing up, which is why you ended up probably at Harold Washington. It's interesting because I guess my interest is architecture. I had the math and the science, but I didn't have the money. And so the three schools at the time had professional architecture programs were UIUC, UIC, and IIT. And of the three, IIT was the only one that accepted me. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, the rest of the like, scores aren't good enough. So I was like, okay. So yeah, I did three years at junior college, got a scholarship from the state to attend UIC. But at the time when I was accepted there, there's a three-year wait list for School of Architecture. Oh. And so a funny thing happened in between my first day of my first semester and the middle of the semester. Fell in love with my ex-girlfriend and completely lost focus. <laughs> Plus, it was a three-year waiting period. So, yeah, that, that was, if you're in architecture school, just focus on the grades. Don't, the love and the extra stuff. I learned firsthand they don't mix. So unfortunately, after a couple of years of trial and error, making the mistake of taking my prereqs calculus and physics at UIC with a room full of maybe four or 500 engineering majors. Wow. Yeah, my grades weren't that great <laughs> compared to the folks that were actually majoring in this stuff. So I wound up being put on probation and subsequently I decided that I would just go and regroup, work for a year or two, save up some money, and then attack architecture again. So I wound up at the post office for about a year and a half, and I went back to Harold Washington, and one of my professors, who was an IIT alum, he told me about portfolio workshop at UIC. 
that said that they were opening up the program for transfer students. So you should look into it. This portfolio resume workshop is being hosted by INOMA, which is the Illinois chapter yes. for National Organization Minded Architects. And at that particular event, I met my first mentor, Billy McGee, who is an IIT alum. So you see how these the IIT keeps popping up in my life? Yeah. And so I had no clue as to what the portfolio was supposed to be because at a junior college, the vocabulary and the ideas of what design and architecture are are completely different with the design school. So my portfolio was like a 36 by 24 case with all my drawings, all my boards. I'm thinking, okay, they want this, so Billy explained to me, no, you need to reduce everything down and submit a small copy to the school. Okay, so at the time he was working at an architecture firm in the South Loop, and he was like, swing by, we could take a look, and I'll show you what you need to do. So he's gonna help me put my portfolio together. So this firm was located at 1326 South Michigan, okay? So I go there, park down the street, walk in, go up to the second floor, and go into the lobby, and there's a receptionist, and I was like, yeah, I'm here to see Billy McGee. Well, I look to my right, and there's this gray-haired gentleman sitting on the couch. Actually, he's laying on the couch with his feet up and whistling a song. And I was like, who is this guy? Well, he asked who I was, and I introduced myself, and I was like, and you are? And so he pointed to the initials on the wall. The initials to the firm was WCA, Wendell Campbell and Associates. And so the firm that Billy was working at was Wendell Campbell. Wendell Campbell is the first president and founder of the National Organization of Minority Architects. Oh, my gosh. And also one of the first black students to graduate from IIT. See how it just keeps Yeah, it keeps. just keeps coming. <laughs> <laughs> so short story about that. You asked about mentors. Billy and Wendell are my first two. If it wasn't for them, I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you guys right now. And Wendell... I guess he had a knack for reading people. And so when I met him, I uh, explained how I was trying to go to school. And he was like, well, if you need anything, feel free to just come here anytime you want. You don't have to call. If you want, you can just come in, go to the back room and find whoever you're looking for and don't worry about it. Now, what firm owner? Could you imagine somebody at, at SOM saying, just show up anytime, don't worry about calling. You can just walk through the office. No, that, that wasn't happening. <laughs> but for him to be a firm owner at the time, one of the larger black firms in the city, and to just give us access is something that isn't done enough these days, but I actually do practice that. So I got accepted UIC, and my first semester I was introduced to a group called BASE, Black Art and Architecture Students for Excellence. And I was like, okay, this is cool. And so I was kind of leery of joining. I just wanted to figure out the grades and the landscape of the school because everything's different. The vocabulary is completely different. Studio times, I'm like, so we're here for four hours. Like, it was just, it was a lot of new stuff. But um, got through the first semester, and I can remember this clearly, that I had a project. We had a site on Taylor Street, not far from where I live now to develop an artist's kind of loft workspace. The subject that I picked to occupy the building was a graffiti studio. Okay, this is 93. So I was told that we had to provide plans, elevations, 
and an axonometric section, which I was like, what the hell is that? And a scale model out of basswood at a quarter inch equals a foot scale. So I never built a basswood model. <laughs> I had never drawn an axonometric section. And uh, I had the plans and elevations done, but I did not realize how much time it would take. And this was all ink on mylar. So we're drawing by hand. So it was, it was a culture shock. So during the crit, my professor understood what I was doing. He kind of figured, he's like, you're new here. We're going to help you figure it out. But one of the reviewers, I think it was probably a grad student or maybe somebody just recently graduated. He was, he was a white guy, young, kind of arrogant. I did my presentation with no hours of sleep. I just grabbed everything, went to the presentation studio and pinned up. And so when I explained that this was a graffiti studio and at the time, the mayor's office had a scholarship program for tag artists to win a competition and get a full ride to the art school. So I felt like it was something that was pertinent for the community that I came up in. I was like, this would be dope. And it's my first taste of, I would just call it racism, uh, with the questions that he asked me. So basically, he was like, so I see what you did. This is, why would I want to go to a graffiti studio. And I was, again, a little, little no sleep, and I just looked up and I kind of puffed up my chest and I was like, this isn't the place for you to be. And I kind of took a step forward and, <laughs> and my professor was like, uh, Bruno Ost. Professor Ost was like, hey, so he took over my crit. <laughs> he was just like, let's just dial it down. Because again, I can't imagine somebody that didn't look like me would get a question like that. And so I was, I was a little heated. So passed it. I wound up taking some additional design classes on the interim to just kind of help me get acclimated. So I survived that year. And then Noma had a conference here the next year. And the outgoing president of BASE appointed me as president for BASE because there wasn't a bunch of students, so it wasn't like a full election. So he's like, you're active, you're around, you're doing it. So I do it. And then I met another mentor who wound up being a business partner. He's longer here with us, uh, Ken Casey. Ken approached me during studio. I was like, hey, do you own a suit? It's like, yeah, I still have my graduation suit. So it's like in college, you usually have just one suit that is for every occasion. So I had a suit. He's like, well, how would you like to volunteer and just be our gopher for the conference? Sure, what do I need to do? Just be ready, I'll come get you, and just do whatever we tell you for the next four days. So they had the conferences at the uh, Hilton on Michigan Avenue, and I'm working, I'm a volunteer, I'm helping out, and I'm starting to meet all these students from around the country. And they were all like, yeah, we're at NYU, we're at USC, Hampton, Howard. I was like, oh, okay, cool. And so they wound up having some part of the conference took place at UIC's campus, and they did a tour of the architecture building. So at that point, that's when I started meeting other NOMAS chapters, and I was like, why does BASE exist when NOMAS? Because I didn't know anything about NOMAS, and I'm just finding out about NOMA. So at that point, I decided we we're going to start a, a NOMA chapter. So I was the founding president for the UIC NOMAS chapter, and they are still alive and running to this day, although there's an ebb of flow with students, because I know 
IIT was here, and then they went, and so they're back. So it's the consistency with the schools is kind of interesting. Yeah. But they're here. So um, thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, thank you for all of that. You went through, like, you've touched so many points. I feel like it's kind of interesting that you meant the founder of Noma, but you didn't really know of Nomas. Okay, before we do talk about Nomas, mm-hmm. you mentioned some of the mentors you had in your past. While reading about you, I found that you talked about the lack of representation. Can you talk about how mentors and role models influenced your career? Yeah. Again, it's when I was in high school, there was a black architect that came to career day. And I was excited. I was like, man. Because honestly, the only architects that I had seen were Mike Brady on the Brady Bunch and uh, Wilbur on Mr. Ed, who's talking horse and his owner was an architect. But these are the only two architects I'd ever known or seen, and they were both white. And so I'm like, I want to do this, but I don't know anybody that's doing it that looks like me. And so when I got a chance to ask him the question, he quickly told me, because I asked, do I need to take any more advanced drafting class? He's like, no, you don't, because you should probably choose another profession. What? Yeah, he was, uh, he worked at Harris Bank. He was uh, a facilities management at Harris Bank. And he's like, yeah, just, and I guess like in the mid-80s, it was probably a recession or whatever, so maybe the job forecast was like, dude, don't. Don't kill my dreams. This is the first exposure I get, and this is what you're telling me to do. But my dad was like, you're going to be an architect. So I was like, fine. Meeting Billy, and at that time, he was a president of Inoma. He took time with me to work on projects. We're still drawn by hand back then. So, like, that one-on-one training, (laughs) we still work together to this day. So it was cool meeting him, and... He's been a huge influence. But then him introducing me to Mr. Campbell, again, this is a black man from East Chicago, Indiana, who's out here doing it. And, I mean, he's doing, like, multi-million dollar projects around the state of Illinois, projects in Gary, Indiana. You know, so I'm like, he's doing it. I see a way forward. I never thought that I would be a firm owner or let long own two firms. I was just going to be happy to work for somebody that looked like me. So going through school, I focused as the president and then later as an officer that we would meet as many firm owners as possible, all backgrounds. But my focus was to meet all the black architects, as many as I could, because I wanted to work for them. I wasn't really awestruck with Perkins and Will, Skidmore. It's like they're great, but I want to go somewhere where I could see people like me doing the same stuff that they're doing. We have the same education. We have the same license requirements. We just don't always get the same opportunities. Yep. So it's like we just go out to go out and take it. And the cool thing about Wendell was he had the vision to create projects, and that was how he ran his practice. He did a lot of church work. He was like the church architect for years. But he also did um, a school not far from here, Bronzeville Military Academy, which is the first public Army-focused high school in the country. And it was an abandoned military base from the 30s. And he created the opportunity for the Dunbar students to go in, measure it up, draw it up, 
And then it eventually became a project and wound up being one of the crown jewels in the Public Building Commission's portfolio. Mm -hmm. So again, seeing this and then meeting all those different students from around the country at the different NOMAS chapters, I was having a brainstorm of we could like graduate and start our own firms and still work in our different states and just do this cross-pollination and just work together. So I think, I think the representation piece is really important that I met those folks when I did because that just, I guess, it fueled the fire for me to see more and do more. So that's where we are. <laughs> it's funny. The, uh, I would say a majority of the folks that have worked for me have been 50% women and all people of color. So I've had Indian, women, Pakistani, Kenyans, African-Americans. So it's been cool to just give them the opportunity and they come in and do some amazing work with me. So I'm not discriminatory, but most of the folks that have come to work for me, either at SOMA or at Beehive, look like us. That's really nice. I feel like, for example, like I went to the last NOMA conference, which is actually where I had the first time to speak to you. Mm -hmm. But I feel like that was a huge shock to me because I probably had never seen so many people of color who are in the architecture field all in one place. So it was very, like, impactful and kind of life-changing, honestly. But I feel like to be able to also, while you're in your own practice and have your own firm, to be able to create spaces for people where they feel like they belong, where they look around and see people who are like you, who can also share their culture with you and have that small community of people. I feel like that's very impactful in the work field. To me, if you don't embrace other cultures, you're designing in a bubble. And that's kind of what American architecture has given us since the beginning. That's what you get. And I mean... If you think about, there's a clothing brand, FUBU, for us, by us. Why would I have somebody that doesn't have a background that I have come to Inglewood and design something when I have roots there? I'm there all the time. I went to high school there. My parents first lived there when they came to Chicago. We opened up our second practices there. So it's like I kind of get what we need economically and culturally as opposed to somebody that's from... I don't know, Waukegan, and has never been to the South Side. Nor wants to interact with it because that happens a lot with yeah. architects here. But then they want to come in and design. I'm like, we don't, it's, it's sad. But I tell my partners all the time, I'm like, I'm not really interested in projects downtown. There's a lot of communities in and around Chicago where we are that I would be more interested in designing and helping. And that's what I've been doing for the last 15 years. Wow. So can you tell us about the history of SOMA and how that began? Okay, so <laughs> SOMA began conversation on my front porch when I was six years old talking to my dad. When I graduated from UIC in 97, I wound up going to work for Wendell Campbell on that fall, and he gave me an opportunity to do some cool stuff. I worked on the Bronzeville Academy. I actually worked on the noise abatement program for Midway Airport. So I was like working out in the field probably for like the first four months that I was with the firm. And then he brought me back in. When you graduate from school, you work at an architecture firm, you get your first job, they're projects. And so they may have you, based on the contract structure and the fee, they may have you 
work on this housing project. They may have you working on this church. So you, it's almost like jumping into different studios. So after I finished my assignment with Midway, he brought me back in and he was like, well, I have a project out in Gary, Indiana. We're converting this old high school. I call them kid prisons, but it was a uh, juvenile detention center. Okay, so kid prisons. Kid prison, Audi <laughs> home. And I was just like, um, Mr. Campbell, I don't really feel comfortable working on this project. So if there's nothing else you got me to work on, I can just go home until you find something. And mind you, I hadn't been at the firm for six months. But I was just like, I took a chance. And he was like, okay, well, let me check on something. And by the end of the day, he came back and told me that I'll be working with Billy on the Bronzeville Military Academy. So the fact that he listened to what my convictions were, I felt like that was huge. And so at that time, I worked on the project, but then I found out that there were opportunities where people were doing side jobs or moonlighting, as they used to call it. And so I was with Campbell for about four years, and then um, the economic downturn, so I got laid off. But while I was laid off, another architect, Ramona Westbrook, who's also a Limbloom graduate, reached out to me with an opportunity to work on a project that she didn't have time for. And it was a, um, a conceptual school in Kankakee, Illinois. And so I got, I was like, oh man, so I can do some design, I get to get paid for it while I'm still looking for a job. And that opened me up to doing work outside of the office. So I wound up going to work for Smith & Smith & Associates and while I worked during the day on their projects, clients would approach me and do design work after hours. And so one of my classmates, Telly Jefferson, who was my first VP at UIC, came up with a logo. And so the logo spelled Soma, because I came up with the name. And if you spell Soma backwards, what does it spell? Amos. 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 That was my dad's name. So... From the inspiration of being six years, explain to what architecture is, to opening my practice, my dad is my silent partner. So he passed in 88, but here we are in 24, 15 years open. Every time that there's a paycheck or a deposit to the account, we get paid. So I'm living his dream for him of being an architect, but he also wanted to be a restaurant owner, so I do quite a few restaurants, fast food places. So we're, we're good, we're good. So that's the origin. That's where Soma Design comes from. That's so impactful. It's like you guys are both living your guys' dreams together exactly the way you had just said it. And it's like also how he's going along with this journey with you. And he would have been 97, January 19th. Wow. He would have been 97 years old. And so I'm here at IIT. <laughs> the school that he chose for me to tell, even though it's supposed to be about me, is telling his story. He was my first role model before I met Billy and, and Mr. Campbell. I feel like his impact on you is so great. Like, you wouldn't really be here without him. No, and the funny thing is, they thought they were done having kids after my sister. So there's like a seven-year gap between me and my sister. And so... The joke in the family was, I'm the, uh, the miracle baby or the accident. <laughs> I, I choose miracle. My brothers and sisters call me the accident, but 
I'm clearly here for a reason. <laughs> and uh, I guess I've, I've impacted a lot of folks the way that they helped get me to this point in my career. And I have a question. There was a time that you were president of Noma National. How did that happen? <laughs> so, again, it's all, I would say it's all Wendell's fault, but Noma was founded in the Bahamas in 1971, where a group for that group of architects that met in Detroit went down, actually in 70, yeah, November 71. They went to the Bahamas, Paradise Island, and talked about forming the organization. And so um, when I became president, my college roommate, who oddly enough graduated from Tuskegee, so I remember the two schools that my dad wanted me to go to. Yeah. So Tuskegee had an exchange program at UIC. So Sheldon is like my brother. I went down there the Christmas before I officially took over in January and stayed on Paradise Island and kind of reflected on becoming president and really taking over as president where they started the organization literally on the same island however many years before. So it was Wendell in 2002 at the NOMA conference in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. At the time, we were transitioning out of management companies. And prior to that, I served as the uh, university liaison for two-thirds of the country, actually three-quarters three of the country. But there was another university liaison in Louisiana who was about to leave office. So I was kind of responsible for all the schools in the whole country. And I guess I was doing such a good job that when we got to Fort Lauderdale, I had a rental car, so I took the president to the bank to do some NOMA business, come back to the general session, and there was a motion on the floor for a new treasurer. And so Mr. Campbell, Drake Dillard, who was the incoming president, and I think Ken Martin, who was the president at the time, were walking back into the convention center to go to the general meeting, and Mr. Campbell was like, hey, the position of treasurer is open. You're going to do it, right? <laughs> And I'm like, this is a trick question. I can't tell this man no because he, so I'll say yes. And I had actually had opportunity to be treasurer for UIC's Architectural Alumni Association. So I was like, kind of, so I figured it out. But that was the first time being in an elected position because university liaison is appointed, but treasurer was elected. And so I had, okay, so. Being trusted to handle all the finances yeah. for the organization and starting up the bank accounts, it was a lot. But I guess he felt like he picked the right person to handle the responsibility. And I think that inadvertently put me on the path to presidency because, again, I never thought I'd own my own firm, let alone two, and I never thought about being president. I was just happy to serve. I was just happy to, he gave me a job. I'll do it. And serving as the Midwest vice president, serving as the university liaison again, getting the student design competition up and running in 2000 in New Orleans. When the opportunity presented itself, I was like, okay, I'll do it. And so walking in Wendell's shoes, I, or footsteps filling the shoes, I was kind of like, let's do it. So 
We were at the LA conference in 2016 when they passed the Noma staff over, and uh, that's when it got real. So, served two years. It was a good time. I learned a lot. I saw a lot. I met some really good friends with the AIA. Thomas Vonier, who was the president at the time, really took me under his wing and just became a lifelong friend. So, it was good to be president. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was what you said. It was good to be president. <laughs> it was good. It was, you know, I think I left the office better than I found it. How about that? <laughs> Which is what every president should strive to do. <laughs> so here's a funny thing, and, and she talks about this quite a bit, but when I was university liaison, I was like, this country is huge. So I found or reached out to some of the students that I met when we were all in the Nomos chapters around. When I met them around the country, I was like, hey, I need you to step into this position for the Western region, for the Southern region, and for the Northeast. So my friends who were probably officers in their chapters in school answered the bell. And so when I finished my term as treasurer, I went back to working with the universities. And at that time, there was a young lady that I met in New York during a conference who was at Cornell. And I was like, you know what? She's just graduating. It's like, she would probably be good for the Northeast region. That was Kimberly Dowdell. Oh. And so Kim, we got to see Kim kind of grow up in Noma from 2004 to 20 years later, she's the first black female president of AIA. So when I, uh, when I accepted the role of president, I had uh, reached out to her because she was still around. I think she had just moved back to Detroit. And I was like, out of the folks that are currently on the executive board, I think it's time for you to come back and be involved. And I just felt like she would compliment me the best as my vice president. So I drove to Detroit. I wasn't gonna ask her over the phone, I wasn't gonna do it via email. I was like, I'll take you out to dinner and we can talk. So I drove a Friday afternoon. I drove to Detroit. I met her at a restaurant downtown. And I actually was like, it's time. We've served together before and I think you would be good to follow. Would you be interested in being my first vice president? And I told her, so here's the thing, it's Friday night. You don't have to answer now. You know, you can hit me up next week. Just take time, because she just finished this big deadline and hadn't really had much sleep, and I didn't want to take advantage of her being tired. <laughs> and it just happened that same day was her sister's birthday. So we went out with her sister, partied and hung out, and then I was checking out the hotel. I'm driving back to Chicago. I get a phone call, and she said, I'll do it. And as you can see, after she, after she served, or while she served as president of NOMA, she handled NOMA during the COVID crisis. She increased the numbers further than what I had as far as attendance and membership. So she just, I felt it was a gut. Just like Wendell was like, you gotta do it, right? There was that kind of personal interaction that eventually landed us the first black female president for the American Institute of Architects in the history of that organization. So 
she tells this story all the time, and I'm like, I just learned it. I mean, uh, this is what my predecessors taught me to do, and we're all benefiting from it. So it's really Mr. Campbell and Billy that have helped Kim become AIA's president because of what they did for me. I was going to say that, like, I find that kind of interesting that it started with you receiving mentors, and now you have become the mentor for a lot of people. How did that happen? (laughs) When did that flip? I know uh, David Stewart has talked about you a lot, too. (laughs) Yeah. We served on the board together. He was a student rep at the time that I was a university liaison, and he says he's largely responsible for all of my gray hair, and I was like, he might be. But he's grown. And so I'll say this because... I know probably 60% of my practice is coming through mentoring. And so the work that I do with NAACP and with Project Pipeline is just, I tell kids, I tell young folks, I'm not going to be a dream killer. I'm not going to be that guy from Harris Bank that says, screw your dreams, go do something else. And the cool thing about with the NAACP AXO program is that um, it's not just architecture. These kids can compete in up to three different categories, music, music composition, music performance, whether it's instrumental or vocal. There's all kinds of STEAM categories, engineering, architecture, physics. There's culinary, humanities, so like short story, original essay, playwriting, dance categories photography, for visual arts, painting, sculpture. And we've been blessed to operate in this program for like the last 11 and a half years. And it culminates with a local competition where the winners in each category can then travel to nationals, compete against students from around the country in those same categories. And we've come back with several medals, gold, silver, bronze, And these students now are young adults that are living their dreams. So they're teachers, they're PhD candidates for communications and engineering, professional musicians. One young man uh, runs a glassblowing residency through the University of Chicago. So all we did was listen to them and just kind of help them along that path. I'll never tell somebody what they can't do. And sometimes, even if they don't believe they can do it, I give them a kick. Like, yo, it's up to you whether you want to do it or not, but I'm not going to be the thing that holds you back. Exactly. Yeah, it's, this is my 12th year working with AXO, and I got room for more. I feel like you're still doing a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. And it's cool because with the Project Pipeline, we've hosted even through COVID, probably the last six or seven camps here at IIT in Crown Hall. And I actually started Chicago's Pipeline Camp about 10 years ago. Wow. Maybe 10, 11 years ago with six students at Chicago State University. A friend of mine ran their aquaponics facility, but they also kind of like had a place where they, they would build all kind of things. And so... Six students, a one-day camp. We went up there, and the project was to design grow beds that they could build and then use to grow plants that they had cultivated in the aquaponics lab. And it was success. 
the next year we moved the camp to um, Blue 1647, which was like a tech incubator hub. That's when they really got to do the architecture piece. It was, again, it was a situation where we had camps around the country and we needed to have one in Chicago. And having it here, I was like, we just got to make it happen. If we can at least get one or two under our belt, we'll get enough people involved and inspired that we can grow it bigger. And so I want to say when Jason Pugh, who was the past president for Noma National and one of my mentees, <laughs> he's pretty much followed every position I've had with the exception of treasurer on the national board. When he and Oswaldo Ortega, who are both past INOMA presidents, got involved, we went, like I said, six students, six students, 20 students. So I think the biggest camp that we had was like 150. So I saw what the potential could be if we got the right folks involved, and they took it from there. So I guess, again, it's, uh, it's the visionary part that Wendell put upon me. And then I said, you know, if, if we can get it started, I know it can do great things. And it's been doing that since day one. Mm-hmm. And that gives all the kids that look like the three of us opportunities to pursue their dreams to the point that one of my former students in our third camp at the University of Chicago she, I believe, is a student here, and she's an intern at Beehive. Oh, yeah, we know her. Jumana? Yeah, she's in our year. <laughs> so Jumana is one of my students from Project Pipeline. Oh, wow. It's funny, there's a video floating around on YouTube. We're in the office watching it one day, and she's like, oh, my God, that's me. I was like, <laughs> so I guess we're doing something right. She's come through the program, and... She's here at school, and she's there working, so I guess that's a decent track record. Yeah. So earlier we talked about SOMA, so why don't we transition into talking about Beehive? What type of work do you guys do at Beehive, and what was your major focus when you founded the firm? So Beehive actually, again, this ties back to the mentoring piece. Beehive uh, and Tuskegee. <laughs> so Beehive actually came about in a conversation back maybe in 2003. One of the founding partners, Dion Lucas, was a student intern at Smith & Smith, and he was working with me. And so when he would come home for the summer break to work, we'd take lunches and we'd you know, drive around the neighborhood or walk around the neighborhood, and it was like, man, you know, it would be cool to have our own firm because he was in the cars, he's still in the cars, but he's like body work and stuff like that. It's like, it would be cool to have our own firm where we got a body shop on the first floor and the architecture firm upstairs. It's like, well, yeah, I can run the firm and you can run the body shop. It's a mixed use building. We're doing both of the things that we love and let's go. I mean, you never know, he was like 19 at the time. You never know when folks are paying attention or listening. And so he continued to come back every year. And there was an opportunity for him to go to West Africa, no, to East Africa, I think to Tanzania, South Africa, to work on some homes through Tuskegee's summer program. And he was like, yeah, you know, I got this opportunity, but I'm coming home to work. And I was like, dude, if you don't go to Africa, I'm going to tell them to fire you so you don't have a choice. 
So about a month later, I get a phone call from the satellite phone saying, B, thank you, thank you, man. That's the best choice I've ever made because he's calling me from Africa. Mm-hmm. And so they got to build the homes and just the whole experience. And so it was cool. So when he, um, he graduated, there was an opportunity for him to go to New York to work for SOM's office. And again, he calls and tells me, yeah, man, I can't wait to get back. And I already knew he had an opportunity in New York. So I was like, dude, if you don't go to New York, it's going to be a problem. So he went to New York. I think he was in New York for about two and a half, almost three years. Came back, got his master's and his MBA, a dual master MBA at University of Champaign. And so with the master's program, the MBA, that gave him the idea of like, okay, so now I can go and create any business I want. And that's where he and our other partner, Justin, met as students and started kind of formulating the whole idea about Beehive. And so about six, almost seven years ago now, it was officially formed where Beehive would be structured to empower young professionals, recent grads to come and work with us and be exposed to all factions of architecture design. Not just you spend your first year doing site plans or bathroom elevations, no, you're going to do everything. You're going to interact with clients. You're going to learn how to write contracts. You're going to go to job sites, whether it's measuring it up or being there when during the construction process. You're going to be exposed so that it helps you develop quicker, but also gives you an opportunity now that they've kind of changed the licensing programming. You can get licensed quicker. It's just, I feel like it's a better tool. And so... The fact that he listened back then to get where we are now, we actually closed in our current building at 1122 West 63rd. We actually closed the first day of the NOMA conference here in Chicago in 2017. Uh And so E.G. Wood kind of focuses on helping develop brick and mortar projects for entrepreneurs. And so 1122 is our first project where we have an architecture firm in the basement, coffee shop on the first floor, a barber shop on the mezzanine, and then a retail clothing and consignment on the second floor. So the idea of the mixed use with the car and architecture, now we have four businesses in the same building, all black owners, all have ownership in the building itself, and then we're currently working out 1022 West 63rd for the food hub. Which is why the partners are going to be with two restaurants, a test kitchen, and some leasable office space. So Beehive and E.G. Wood are kind of the things that were created to give us opportunities to do work for folks that look like us in our neighborhoods, whether that's on the south side or the west side. So we were talking a lot about mentorships. So what advice would you give to young students and designers? Always be open to help. Architecture in and of itself is not about just one person. So even small, large projects, there's a team. So you should always look to strengthen the team. Like I said, when you talk to young folks, you never know who's listening or who's paying attention. So the fact that Jumana works for us now, I would never thought about that. And the fact that it circles back to an interaction she had in an architecture camp when she was like 10 years old, 12 years old. 
So be present, be open. Don't ever think just because you're a student or you're young in a profession that you can't make a difference for somebody else. And always, always pay it forward by reaching back. Like one of my responsibilities when I was on the local IANOMA board, I was the uh, student rep for all of the different colleges. And so IIT went through a little period, maybe like 98, 99, of not being active. And I was able to come up here and help them get reactivated, even to the point that they started doing um, programming where I started like desk crits at UIC while still a student, I would just have professionals come in like after studio. And these were professionals that looked like me, that weren't being invited to the crits, that nobody could find like, you know, why are these folks on the crit Caucasian? No Asians, no blacks, no Hispanics. I mean, come on, this is Chicago. You have all these different people that own firms, but these are the only people you can find. So it got to the point that we would have anywhere from 15 to 20 professionals, majority of them are black, come and review on students' work. And it wouldn't just be the African-American or black students. It was anybody who had work they wanted to have reviewed. So the white students would come. Everybody was just like, this is where we're going to be. We're going to have something to eat. We're going to have something to drink. And we're going to have people that can review your project. And this will happen like maybe a week before final crit. And so coming up here and talking to the students who are my friends to this day, Jerome and Tiana were the presidents back then. Jerome teaches drafting at Simeon Career Academy, and Tiana is a principal at a firm out in San Francisco. But they thanked me for being here for them, but they started the practice of having folks come up for crits here. So it doesn't make a difference where in, in your professional track you always had the opportunity to help, and help others grow. Even to the point that when I was president, I wanted to make sure when I graduated and everybody in my class that was a NOMAS member graduated, we had jobs before we left that campus. And for the most part, we all did with the exception of two young ladies who were just too busy to come out to the events because they were so focused on you know, I got to work, I got school. Architecture isn't like that. Life isn't like that. You have to be active. You have to participate. So everybody knew pretty much when we were graduating, the day we were graduating, they were like, okay, well, you can start. If you graduate on the 17th, you can start on the 19th. I didn't look for a job because I didn't want to work when I graduated. I was just, I need a break. I took a longer path to go through college and I left UIC and Waited to get in the UIC again and took care of my dad for two years. So I didn't just go straight through college. It was probably like almost nine years from graduating from high school because it was 10 years. But I don't think if I had a went to IIT in September of 86, I doubt seriously I'd be sitting there talking to you guys right now because that would have changed the whole trajectory. I probably wouldn't have met half the people that I know now. So it's always important to just be there. And when I did find a job or look for a job, I got one, and I wasn't a good fit. It was a very conservative office. 
And I actually was on the phone on a Friday morning giving a referral for one of the young ladies who didn't have a job to Wendell, Mr. Campbell. He had called me and was like, hey, I got this young lady. You know, can you tell me about her? And I was like, she's great. I her. And then I got laid off that afternoon, and I called Mr. Campbell back. I was like, hey, man, I know Pam's great, but uh, <laughs> I need a job. And he was like, well, it just so happened to have two positions open. So me and Pam worked out for both of us that we both were hired. But again, it was just being in that position. I mean, at this point, I've written so many letters for folks to get into grad school or qualify for scholarships. I'm happy where I'm at right now because I think I believe in karma and I keep it full of positive. So it's just good to sit back and reflect on all the people. And sometimes it's hard to do because it's, I mean, we're talking 30 plus years at this point of just being engaged and helping folks. And given all the experiences you have had, what are your future plans? So when architects get to a certain age, they talk about transition plans or stuff like that. SOMA is not going to outlive me. It was only put in place for me and my dad. So when I go, it's gone. Beehive, Dion was like, we're going to give it to the young folks. So there's always the opportunity if you come to work for us, you're kind of buying into the idea that you can run this firm one day. It's not going to be something that's coveted. Ooh, maybe I'll let you know. You're here. You're putting in the time and sweat. If this is something that you think you want to do later, then come on. It's not a secret. It's not, you know, hey, this is for all of us. So I'm going to continue doing what I've been doing since high school, helping folks out getting people what they need when they need it, and hopefully retire somewhere in Costa Rica and New Orleans. Those are my two favorite parts of the world outside of Chicago. So maybe a 10-year plan to figure that out. (laughs) I appreciate you so much for being able to be on this podcast. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I feel like you have experienced so much, and you have done so much for the community in architecture and just Chicago overall. And so honestly, I appreciate that. And I thank you for all the stuff that you have done too, to help like people that look like me. And I'm glad that I'm able to grow up with more representation around me. So thank you for that too. <laughs> You're very welcome. I can't be anybody else. This is what I do. Thank you. I want to thank everyone for listening. We release our episodes monthly. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthesurface underscore Nomas IIT. I want to thank our producer, Caleb Kwok, the Nomas IIT team, and WIIT for making this podcast possible. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Surface featuring Ryan Hudson. Until next time, goodbye.